All right, guys, welcome back to the Game Trail Podcast. Uh, on this episode, I had Andrew Whitney from Stone Glacier on the podcast. Uh, Andrew's a, a great hunter. He's just a good dude. Um, I really like that guy, and I appreciate his knowledge and his expertise. And it's interesting doing this podcast. It seems like no matter how long I've been hunting, uh, I can always learn tips and tricks from people. And I certainly did on this podcast. He gave me a new way of thinking about layering systems. He also gave me some tips on the way I load my backpack, which sounds pretty elementary, if you will, but, you know, food for thought, it gave me uh, a new perspective. So I hope you guys tune in and listen. Uh, Before we get going with the episode, I wanted to hit you with a couple promos. Uh, One promo being, uh, if you want to sign up for a GoHunt Insider account, you can use the promo code GAMETRAIL, that's G-A-M-E-T-R-A-I-L. If you sign up for an Insider account with that promo, we're going to give you 50 points, which is $50 back into the Go Hunt gear shop that you can use towards the purchase of any gear or equipment that you want in the shop. Uh, if you decide up for to decide to sign up for a Go Hunt Maps membership, that's that Explorer membership. Uh, you can find that in the app stores. Um, we're going to give you 20 points if you use that promo code when you sign up. So use the promo code Game Trail, get points back, dollars to spend in the Go Hunt gear shop. Uh, I also wanted to recognize and thank Matthews Archery for being a sponsor of the podcast. Uh, I was out on a run the other day. I was doing some thinking. Um, when I was a kid, all I ever wanted was to hunt and to be a bow hunter. And to have Matthews on board and sponsoring my podcast is, in reality, is just a dream come true. It's just super cool to be able to work with that company. Uh, I have a ton of respect for the company and also the bows that they make. Uh, I have ultimate confidence in their bows. Um, you know, I killed a great mule deer buck last week here in my home state of Utah. And the confidence that I have in that weapon to make that shot is through the roof. I absolutely love their bows. They shoot phenomenally. And I wanted to thank Matthews and just kind of recognize them as a sponsor of the podcast. So with that, we'll jump in. Hope you guys enjoy the episode with Andrew Whitney. Yeah, I've, already, I've, I've been through a cup of coffee as well. <laughs> Yeah, I've been up since, I don't know, 3.30 with the new whippersnapper. Oh, yeah? Coffee. New new babe? Yeah, he's like four months. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Congrats, man. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, Boy. sleep is not my strong suit right now. Yeah, I, I hear you. I've been up since probably 3.32. We could have done it at 3.30 in the morning, huh? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just one of those days. I didn't know you had a kid. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's been kind of an interesting ride so far, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's it's all good now. Uh, he's healthy. He's growing. So, yep. Everything <clears throat> but, good. Uh, What's his name? Cameron. Cameron. I like it. Yeah, but my my season's looking a little bit different than it typically does. You know, just scratching for days to go elk hunting. Yeah. Um, which is all good. It's it's a good trade off. Yeah. Just, just the season that it is, you know, you got a brand new baby yeah. and I mean, you just gotta, you gotta buckle down and do what you need to do. But is he, is he sleeping pretty good or not so good? Um, he's out of seven nights a week. He probably sleeps through like four of them. Mm-hmm. So I'll take it. It's much better than it was. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, there's a few nights where there's just, you know, he's a baby and he's developing and, yeah. you know, things just change on on a dime so yeah um yeah but he's you know three four five nights a week depending on the week uh he sleeps through them so we're we're back to like getting a little bit of sleep but still 
that's rough, man. <laughs> There's still some surprises. Yeah, that's that's tough. It's been a long time since I had a kid. You know, my oldest is uh, what eleven, I guess, at this point, and my or my youngest, yeah. I should say, and then my oldest is eighteen. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's been a long time since I had a sleepless night because the kid was up all night. But that's that's really cool. Yeah. It's kind of a trip, huh? Having a kid, first kid. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, I suspect it will become the new norm, you know, but there's definitely some adjustments that are are being made on the daily. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's yeah, it's great. He's awesome. Uh, it's so cool to watch him like go from like you know infant alien to like start to develop a personality and recognize you and hear your voice and whatnot. Yeah, they start smiling. They start like taking on a little personality. You know, you can see him kind of developing, and I, I remember that as well. It's super cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it it changes perspective for sure. I know, you know, when you're when you're young and single, you feel like you have all the free time in the world and just all the ability to do whatever you want, whenever you want, and you don't think too much. I mean, I I'm just back off a of mule deer hunt, and I think, uh, you know, I made this stalk down through the ledges, and there were times when I was like looking you know, based on where I was. And I was like, man, you know, I'm, I'm probably shouldn't do this, you know? And you, you do start yeah. to think like, Oh, I th- I'm thinking about things differently here a little bit. You know, I'm thinking, ah, I got three kids oh. at home, you know, I got, a, <laughs> I got a mortgage and car payments and I don't know if I should be doing this, but there's a big buck right there. So, you know, away I went, but it definitely changes your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I was on, uh, I had that Florida Ibex tag like three or four years ago. And I, there were places I went then where I would not even consider going now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never, I've never had that tag. I've applied, but you've, you've drawn it. I drew it my first year. Yeah. No way. Did you get yeah. one? Uh, I didn't. Um, I put a good arrow through one. That country mm-hmm. is so rugged and steep. Um, I arrowed this billy at, I think it was like 54 yards um and he was like my arrow he's wearing my arrow like right where you'd want it to be mm-hmm. and he went over this big bluff and into this big like um it basically was uh, like a non-passable basin like it just so steep and the cliffs were so intense i couldn't even get in there to look for him oh man um which you don't know at the time you know had i known that i probably wouldn't have shot mm-hmm. um but like my perception was that if I put a good arrow through him, I would, you know, I, yeah. he wouldn't make it very far, but he just, he turned and went off this pillar and that's crazy was gone so fast. I never saw him again. I, I watched the herd leave mm-hmm. uh, and he wasn't with them. So, Oh man, my, my assumption is that he's dead in there somewhere. And, but nope, I came home empty handed, mm-hmm. but what a hunt. It's so cool. It's so different. It's like, I don't know if there's a hunt, like it in north america mm-hmm. yeah I've, I've never drawn it um you know we went down to texas like southeast texas or southwest texas this this last march i think it was and we went down and hunted uh Audad, and it was super you know cliffy super rocky rugged nothing like you know ibex nothing like the floridas from what my understanding but like those desert dwelling really cliffy you know species i just think they're so cool like I, i'm addicted to Audad. i think they're awesome so i can i can't only imagine barbary i don't i don't really like heights or so i don't know i don't know if i would uh i don't know if i would love hunting yeah. ibex but Maybe, maybe someday. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's places you can get into them where it's not quite as terrifying, but, Mm -hmm. um, some of that stuff is like, it's a true no fall zone. If you fall, 
you're done. Yeah, I don't I don't like that stuff. Yeah, I had to talk myself into to putting the stock on this buck and I had to work my way and I ended up like on a ledge. Um, you know, it was probably four feet, so I had plenty of room to kind of like stand and lean back and then, you know, lean forward and make a shot. But I don't, I do not like that stuff. I'm, I mean, I've, I've only drawn one, I drew a mountain goat tag in Utah a few years ago. And, you know, even though the, the Billy or the, it wasn't a Billy, it was a nanny, but even though the goat that I shot, um, you know, she, she died right out on this bench, but I sat there and I watched her on this big cliff face. She was with a bunch of other goats and they were kind of working their way over to this saddle. And from where I was at, like I could lean over and look and it was, you know, probably a 500 foot ledge, you know, just going off to my left and just, you know, 13,200 foot. Like I just, I'm a desert dweller. Like I do not like that stuff. It just leaves me feeling not great. I just don't love it. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if pe- some people are born with that. They love it. You know, they're really into it. I just do not like it. Yeah. I, I, I'm not in love with it either. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think like to some degree it like adds to the adventure, mm-hmm. you know, Cause you don't like it in the moment necessarily, but you look back on it and you're like, Holy smokes. That was cool. Like the country that we traverse and that, you know, I don't know how I made it through there. They, the animals make it look easy. Then you get in it and you're like, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> um, but you're like, do I push forward? I'm halfway there. Or do I turn back? You're like, up oh, six, one way, half dozen, the other might keep, might as well keep pushing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah it's, I've never I, felt so I, small. I, I could do without the falling potential, yeah. but it's kind of the reality of mountain hunting. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I just, I remember feeling like I, I just, I feel so insignificant. Like I'm just a speck here on this globe, you know, when you're up that high and it's just open country and cliffy and so gnarly, you just, you really get a sense of your mortality. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I appreciate you jumping on. Um, you know, for those of you listening, I got Andrew Whitney. Did I say that right? Whitney? Is there, I want to say yep, Whitney. Yeah. Whitney. Right on. So, uh, Stone Glacier, you work over Stone Glacier. Um, I guess before I got a bunch of questions, it's just, I want to talk to you about my podcast is mostly, um, you know, kind of gear driven. I want to pick apart some just thoughts that you have on gear, specifically Stone Glacier gear, talking packs, layering systems, tents, sleeping bags, those kinds of things. Um, but before we, we jump in and I ask you those kinds of, I'm just going to pepper you with questions, Andrew. So, um, before we do that, uh, give us a quick rundown who you are, where you're from. I know you've probably done this before on other podcasts, but, and every time I do one of these, I mean, I've known you for quite a while and you know, I'm starting to think about the podcast and having you on and I'm thinking it through and I'm like, man, I don't really, I don't know if I even know that much about you. I don't even know. I think you're from back East originally, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, born in Maine, raised in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's, that's really where I cut my teeth becoming an outdoorsman, if you will. Um, but New Hampshire obviously doesn't have what the West has to offer. So when I was going, I was graduating high school and looking at colleges, uh, I looked at a few, but, uh, Montana state in particular, which turns out it was a great decision to go there. Um, so I went to MSU in 2008 and, uh, never looked back. So just, just fell in love with the culture and the people and what Bozeman used to be, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of small town hunting right outside town, great skiing, great fishing. Um, yes, I moved out here in 2008. I I wound up back home, uh, for a little while. My mother was sick, but uh, I turned around and came right back out. So, uh, yeah, I've been here for uh, I don't know, 11, 12 years, something like that. And yeah, just like totally immerse myself in the culture and, um, 
picked up a bow actually kind of I'm, I'm i'm not a late onset bow hunter but i started bow hunting when i was like 18. Hmm. maybe that's late onset for some people but i was i mean um, i didn't really get into it until i was like 21. so i mean i, I yeah. shot one as a kid just recurve you know plinking but I, I didn't really start bow hunting until i i picked up my dad's he had like an old fred bear that he had and i don't it was probably made in the 80s i would say just like you know, metal cables and everything. And, you know, I, I was shooting aluminum arrows, mismatched broadheads. And I, I think I was 21 and then I, I ended up getting a compound that next year. So I wouldn't say you're too, too late. No. Um, uh, Pete Munich is actually responsible <laughs> for my bow hunting career, which is kind of funny. Um, but yeah, it just, it led me down the path that I'm on right now. So did your, uh, uh, just... your, your family, your friends, they think you're crazy for moving, moving out to Montana that they wonder what you were up to. Or they, did you always I don't know that they understood that it. My my family understands it. Like my uncles are diehard hunters, and they were like, "Yeah, go go live out west, do your thing." Um, but a, a lot of my friends were like, "What? Where are you going? And why are you going there?" And I was like, "Don't worry about it. I'm go, but I'm going." Yeah. Um, which is yeah, like I said, probably the best decision I ever made. Uh, just for like, um, you know, life. Uh, but work and just like my overall happiness, I, I, I go back and visit my family and friends, you know, around the holidays and stuff. And I, every time I go back, I scratch my head and I'm like, what would I be doing right. if I never went down this path that I'm on right now? Uh, did, and I still don't have an answer for it. Yeah. What did, uh, what did your folks do for a living? Like, what were they doing? Um, my dad's been in sales. He worked for uh, a company called Miller, um, he sold like fall protection, like, um, harnesses and stuff like mm. industrial harnesses. And then he worked for Eli Lilly for a while. Um, my gotcha. uncle was, uh, this is kind of where I got my inspiration from. Uh, but my uncle was a rep, an independent rep, but he worked for Patagonia, Sherpa, mm. ex officio, all these outdoor companies. So, um, that's kind of where I I got my vision, if you will, for like kind of what I wanted to do with my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, my mother was a personal trainer. She worked for Pan Am for a while. Hmm. Um, so it's a it's a good yeah, mix. I don't know, kind, of, kind of like standard Eastern East Coast Eastern Seaboard jobs, mm-hmm. if you will, which is not what I wanted for my life. Sure, but it's it's always interesting. I mean, you talk. Um you know, nature versus, you know, nurture, kind of the, you know, what, what you develop into based on, you know, what's in your DNA versus kind of your environment and, and where you grow up. And it's interesting to talk to people, you know, you, you got an uncle that you said it was kind of in, in the gear industry and, and kind of in your dad's in sales, you know, your mom's, and I know you like to work out. I know that you, you know, you put time and effort into being physically prepared to go hunting. So it's, it's interesting, just like the, the influences that, you know, your environment puts upon you and kind of the direction that you end up taking, you know, it's, it's always yeah. interesting when I talk to people. So it makes, it makes good sense knowing what I know of you. Yeah. I mean, I kind of took a little bit of everybody, you mm-hmm. know, my mom's fitness, my dad's in sales, my uncle was into the outdoor industry and he's, he's actually responsible for getting me into hunting when I was, when I turned 10 or whatever, he took me duck hunting and um, as they say, the rest was history, but gotcha. yeah, I, I kind of took a little bit from everybody and, um, carved out my own path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, everybody kind of needs a, you know, a little, a bit, a bit of a mentor in their life. I mean, 
I'm, I'm always amazed at people that get into hunting on their own. You know, I, I, you know, Chris Neville that works here, him and his brother, his mom and dad didn't hunt at all. And they just, they lived in Iowa and they had some property and they were seeing deer and that kind of thing. But for whatever reason that just clicked with them and they got into hunting on their own. But I'm always, I'm always interested in people that, you know, get into it completely on their own and how hard, like it just must seem so insurmountable to try to get into Western big game hunting on your own. It, I mean, to me, yeah. what I know now, it seems pretty second nature, but I mean, it would be so hard, I think. <clears throat> yeah. It's, it's a time honored thing. Like I, I cut my teeth duck hunting, but mm-hmm. you still learn about, um, you know, like deceiving the animals that you're pursuing and like, um, you learn to understand, um, like what works and what doesn't work. Right. And you just like slowly piece it together over several years, uh, but yeah, like trying to, trying to go from, I don't hunt to like, I want to be a Western bow hunter. Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty what tough. a hurdle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a friend right now that I'm, um, I'm like kind of mentoring as far as like gear goes. And, uh, I just got him set up with a rifle and he has so many questions that to me are like, they're so, so simple and generic, but I, I understand where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, he's coming up to hunt with me later this year. And, uh, he like, he has a doe tag and a cow elk tag, you know, and he is so excited about the concept mm-hmm. of harvesting your own meat and processing it. And, um, it just, it's very cool. It's, uh, it's actually like refreshing mm-hmm. because I spent so much time with people who are like so dialed, right. They know exactly <laughs> what they're doing. There's no, they don't have questions for me yep. and he's just, he's so green um, sometimes I just chuckle at the questions and yep. not, not because I think they're, they're, you know, invaluable or stupid, but just because they're, they're questions that, you know, that you, there are things you answer over time on your own, but he is just like, you know, he's so new, but it, yeah, it's, yeah. it's great. He's great. Uh, I think he'll, he'll really appreciate it. And my guess is that he will fall into it big time and, yeah. uh, want to be a hunter for the rest of his life. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, there are. And I've, I've got some questions for you that are probably of a similar nature. Um, that I want to ask you a little bit later, just, you know, questions that I get asked all the time. And to me, it seems, you know, it does, it seems elementary or just like almost second nature. Cause I've done it so many times, but there, there are those kinds of questions that I think uh, I continually overlook them. I don't even think about them, you know, until somebody asks right. me and then I'm like, why would you, why would you ask me that? Like, it seems pretty, pretty basic, you know, and, and in some ways it is, but if you've never done it, you know, I guess you, you just wouldn't know. So I'll, I'm going to hit you with some of those here in a bit, but, um, how did you get involved with stone glacier? Um, so in 20, I, I, Pete Munich is a college friend of mine. Okay. Um, and he was working at Schnee's in downtown Bozeman. Huh. When Kurt was starting Stone Glacier, the first place he was selling them at retail was at Schnee's on consignment. Um, and so Pete was helping him. I started working at Schnee's uh, shortly thereafter and I got involved with with Pete and Kurt on the Stone Glacier front, um, and then it basically it it kind of grew from there, right? It, he was growing the business outside of Schnee's as well, right? With the more like direct to consumer model. Yep. So I was helping Kurt. You know, he would he would bring um, shoulder straps and frames and all the components over to my house. And like, after my day job, I would sit there for a few hours and assemble packs for him. Mm. Um, 
This is why you're in so college. So that, that was my initial involvement. Gotcha. Yeah, that's crazy. You've been yeah. there from from the from the jump, then pretty much from the get go. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I think it was 2015 or 16. Jeff Spazito came into the picture, um, and then shortly thereafter, 17 or 18, I went full time with Stone Glacier. Mm-hmm. So there was like a I don't know, not a hiatus, if you will, but there was a time when like they were rocking and rolling, and then. Um, I wasn't like super involved and then I got, you know, back involved full time, uh, mm-hmm. in like late 17 or 18 or whatever it was. Um, what's your official title at Stone Glacier? What do you do there? Uh, I'm the sales manager. So I, I run our wholesale business, Okay. um, which is great, but busy. Uh, it's fast growing. It's fast paced. Um, but we've, We've got Becky, who I think you know Becky. Yeah. I'm guessing you've met her along the way. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Bridger is working with us now. So we've got a little wholesale team. Uh, and then this year we hired some reps as well. So um, they're covering a lot of the West. Uh, now I'm more responsible for the East and everything international. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, but effectively mm-hmm. I, I I run our wholesale business, which is gotcha. challenging. Yeah. What's that? I was going to say doing good. Things are busy. Sounds like things are busy. Yep. Yep. Um, but it's, it's great. I mean, it's, it's challenging. Uh, I had, I had never done it before. So Jeff gave me the opportunity and kind of threw me, uh, into the mix with not a lot of experience. So I've, I've learned a lot over the last three, four years. Yeah. Just, just good dude. I always like sitting and talking with Jeff. I always get a uh, good, good perspective from Jeff. I really respect that guy. I think he, um, he always comes off as just like super down to earth, very genuine. And then, then also just like really smart. So I always, I always appreciate getting a chance to sit and talk to Jeff. I, I really respect that guy. Yeah. He's, he's very down to earth. He's very nice. Um, his expectations are just that you do your job and do it at a high level. Uh, but yeah, he's, he is unsuspecting. He's like, he's business savvy. You know, he's, he's got his head screwed on. Mm-hmm. Um, it has done a really nice job with our brand. Yeah. Yeah. I think you guys have built a phenomenal brand. We had him down in the office and did a podcast with the other guys. And I, I mean, I don't know what he expected when he came into that podcast, probably just to talk about, you know, packs and gear and layering systems and that kind of thing. And like, it kind of developed into more of a discussion just on building a brand and you know, how do you, how do you build a brand and how did stone glacier build such a solid just brand, which is what I was yeah. really interested. So I, I think, you know, commendable what you guys have done over there. I think you've built a really solid, cool brand with a you know cool group of, of people. And I mean, I'm continually impressed with what you guys have done over there genuinely. So keep it, yeah. keep, keep it well, up. We appreciate that. It, it feels very organic mm-hmm. to us. You know, we're all just diehard hunters, mountain hunters and, um, everybody's nice and respectful. And I think it, I think when people encounter us, um, at least for the most part, they walk away and they're like, God, those guys are authentic and genuine Mm -hmm. and and just good people. Um, so I think we're an easy brand to identify with, you know, like none of us think we're, you know, too cool for anybody or too good at any one thing. We're just, we're just hunters and, and guys, and, you know, we're trying to make this work and figure it out as we go. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think, you've done obviously i mean based on the growth and and just what i you know what i see i i think you've done it done it well so yeah commendable 
Um, I wanted to jump into some questions, just ask you some gear questions, probably the type of questions that Jeff thought he was going to get that he didn't, you know, necessarily get, and, but I'll, I'll pepper you with them. So I know that you guys sure. started out as a, a pack company primarily. You've got uh, several packs in your lineup at this point, and you kind of continue to evolve and grow that. And you've also continued to evolve and grow into, you know, layering systems and tents and sleeping bags. Um, I wanted to ask you specifically about packs. So I'm just, I'm always curious. We get a lot of questions and hopefully this will answer some questions for people that might be listening, but you know, how, how do you pick a pack? Like what's your favorite pack? Why did you pick it? Um, what's your favorite bag? How much do you pay attention to things like organization or access, you know, where the zippers are, you know, how, how do you look at that? Yeah. Um, I, I've always been a big fan of the 5,900. Um, so I basically have run two stone glacier packs. Um, so I, early on we had the solo, we had two options, the solo and the terminus. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ran the solo for a long time with a lid and an access bag to give me the space I needed. Um, and then the, we developed the 5,900, which is still my personal favorite. Uh, I just like the layout. I like the big beaver tail zip on the front. It just affords me really nice, quick access to gear. Um, and in all fairness, I haven't really, you know, I, I kind of have my pick of the litter. I haven't even really considered changing. I think that bag is is a do-all bag. It, it literally will do anything like I, I wear it for a morning turkey hunt or an evening bear hunt or for a seven day archery hunt um i think the one exception to that rule is if you're headed up north to alaska mm-hmm. and you're looking at 10 plus days mm-hmm. you might need the extra cubic inches in a 6900 okay um but yeah i mean like across the board that 5900 does just about everything i needed to do so based on size and then also based on access to the bag, right? Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. So you can access, like if that bag is fully expanded, you can access like two thirds of the bag with that big front zipper. Mm-hmm. Right. So like I never have to dig in from the side or dig in from the top to try to find something. Um, the one thing uh, that the 5,900 lacks, if you're going to call it that is a designated spotting scope pocket. Mm-hmm. But generally what I do is I'll just leave like kind of a channel, if you will, right behind that zipper for my spotter. Uh, and I don't carry a big spotter. I carry a 65 millimeter spotter. So it's, it, you know, kind of goes anywhere. Uh, it's not like I have a 95 that I need to stuff in there. Um, right. But all you have to do is crack the top of the zipper yeah. and your spotters right there. So, yeah, one thing I've had the, um, you know, the privilege, the opportunity to use a whole bunch of different you know, backpacks from a lot of different brands, yours included. Um, I've got a 5,900. I've got a, the one that I probably use, you actually don't make anymore. And I mentioned it to Jeff, but that's 7,400. So it's got the center zip right down the middle. So the old 7,400. Yeah. And the reason I like it is because it's big enough just as a main bag that I can fit everything in it for, you know, seven, eight day hunt. And I don't have to use a top lid. Cause I just, yep. I don't, I don't like a top lid to me. And I've said this a bunch of times, but it's just the top lid to me is just like the junk drawer in your kitchen, you know, or whatever. It's like your, your utility room junk drawer that you just throw shit in. 
and you just fill yep. that thing up with like random stuff that you probably don't need. It's not, like not really organized. And I know probably some people have better luck with, you know, using their top lid, you know, more effectively. But for me, like if I can ditch the top lid and just pack everything in the main bag, I do. So that's one of the reasons I like yeah. that 7,400. But I was going to say, I don't, I don't know that, um, I've used as many packs as I've used. I don't know that people really think so much about like access into the bag and it's a minor detail. It's like a little thing. Um, but, but it makes a big difference to me. I, I really like that beaver tail, like you're saying of the 5,900. And I also like the big center zip of that 7,400. Um, so yep. it's, it's just like a minor detail, but it's like definitely worth thinking about just as, you know, how easy is it to access, you know, your main pocket and get into your bag? Like if you need to grab your spotting scope, do you have to do on uh, undo a bunch of buckles or, you know, I mean, what is it to get to your gear that you need when you need it? Like if you got your rain gear and you really need it, like right now, you know, how hard is it to get into your bag? So I don't know that people think too much about that, but I, I'm right in line with you as far as like the 5,900 and I like those big, you know, beaver tails and I like the center zips. It just seems like it's so much easier to get into your pack. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm like kind of OCD about, um, like organization and how my, my bag is packed. Not so much with like pockets and zippers, like the little stuff, you know, That's gonna be but like, I want, question. like when I pull that, when I pull that beaver tail back, I want to be like, there's my jet boil, there's my rain gear, there's my insulation, right? Like very, very, um, like consistently laid out. Right. Um, so that's why I like it as far as like, we, we sell swing out pockets and camp pockets, right. For organization of that little stuff. And I run a very tight ship when it comes to that stuff. I have one camp pocket, uh, and then I might have two swing outs in the front pocket of the 5,900, but basically one is like toilet paper. Mm-hmm. And then the other one might be like an extra release, some extra calls, you know, things I need to get to really quickly. But, um, and that's, that's kind of built into our system. I'm sure you're familiar with like our minimalist design mm-hmm. and then you can add to it, right. As you see fit. But, um, yeah, the, the organization on the little stuff is such a small detail for me. I really just want to know, like, where's my rain gear when I need it? Where's my jet boil without having to tear my pack apart to get to it? Yep. So that's, that's actually going to be leads right into my next question. And this is the kind of the part of the podcast where I said, I was going to ask you a question that might seem a little bit mon, you know, mundane or a little bit simple to, to some of us that have been doing a bunch, but we, we always get asked and I'm always surprised, but you know, people will, will send us a, a note and say, can you do a video or, you know, an article on how you actually pack your bag? Like, where do you put things and why? Yeah. Um, there's like, there's two considerations really when I'm packing a bag, right? One is weight mm-hmm. and how it's going to be distributed on the frame. Uh, and the second one is like relevance or how quickly I need to get to something. Um, so like I was saying in that front pocket of a 5,900, I'm going to have things I need to get to quick, right? Like if I reach in my pocket and my diaphragms are gone mm-hmm. and I need to get a diaphragm quickly, that's where I'm going for it. Or like if my handheld release is gone, I have quick access to it. Have you ever had um, that happen? Which, what's that? Have you ever had that happen? Yeah. I was about 45 yards from a big billy on my Ibex hunt and I looked down and my release was gone. Oh man. Yeah. My pack was about a hundred yards up the hill, unfortunately. And, um, needless to say that didn't pan out. Have I, have I told you my story about when I dropped my release? I don't think so. 
Yeah, so I was on Kodiak Island and I'm hunting Sitka Blacktail. And I've got uh, my release, which is a, a True Ball uh, HT Pro. So it's brass. So it's, you know, a hinge release. It's yellow. It's brass colored. And uh, I'm working in on this buck and I get to probably 45, 50 yards. And he's bedded kind of up against this bank. And then uh, he stands up and I like reach for my release. And I had my release like in my bino harness, you know, just like in the top lid, I had it open and my release is gone. And at the time I've got, uh, I've got one of those stupid deer hats, you know, like the ones that look like a deer, you know, they've got the foam, the foamy decoys. Yeah. Cause I had a friend that had shot a buck the day before and he was like, man, worked really, really well. It just gave it like that much distraction, you know, that it kind of worked. And uh, so I've got this foam deer head on and I'm looking for my release and I can't find my release. And I got two buddies that are back up on the hill and they're sitting there kind of glass and watching this whole thing unfold. And, um, I can't find this release. And I'm like looking all over the ground, of course, like all the grass, you know, in Kodiak, I mean, the vegetation's, you know, even at elevation, it's knee high, you know, and it's yellow and my release yeah. is yellow. So I'm like, on my hands and knees and I'm like patting the ground. I am looking everywhere for this release and I cannot find my release. Anyway, Buck finally kind of takes note and you know, he's not into it. Doesn't like my, my decoy hats. He bails and kind of runs off and I spend some more time and I find my release finally. And you know, I kind of blew the whole thing, but, um, later talking to the two guys, they were like, man, we, we were wondering what you were doing. <laughs> and the one guy's like, man, I thought you were just like down on your hands and knees, like really trying to sell it, that you were another buck, like ready to fight. Cause he's like, <laughs> we could see you on all fours and you're just like moving all around, you know, like digging around through the dirt. And he's like, you got your head swinging back and forth. And he's like, we thought for sure you were just going all in method actor, really trying to lure that buck. In. <laughs> yeah. Full send. Yeah. Um, and that's funny. It's, it's always interesting watching your friends stock stuff through a spotting mm-hmm. scope, you know, like the commentary oh, and you're like, sure. do this, do that. And you, you have no clue what's going on on the ground. Yep. Uh, but you think you do. Yeah. Oh, for and, sure. Uh, yeah. That's, that's funny. Yep. Hey, well, I'll let you get back um, to how you pack your bag. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, relevance, right? Like, do I need to get to it quickly? Okay. Then I'm going to keep it at the forefront of my bag. But, um, like I, like I said, I have a camp pocket and usually two swing outs, mm-hmm. but that camp pocket is full of like, you know, tags, uh, electrical tape, um, anything medical related. Um, fire maybe that's kit. not a good idea in case I need that quickly, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, just fire starter, stuff like that. Stuff I like don't think about until I'm like back at camp or like, you know, where it's like not going to be heat of the moment kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as, as far as weight goes, I, you, you hear so many opinions about how to pack a pack and where the weight goes and yada, yada. Um, really what I do, food is typically the heaviest thing you carry in a pack. Mm-hmm. So I will typically line my food up against my frame, right? So it's a, it's pretty much the first thing I pack. Um, and if you can like kind of envision how I pack it, like against the frame and then almost like in a J shape to the bottom of the bag. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want that weight close to my back, right? Like I'm, you hear people talk about putting all the heavy stuff in the bottom of a bag mm-hmm. and like that may work, but I don't think it's the best way to do it. Um, so I'm typically packing all my food against my back. I'll pull one bag to the front, Mm -hmm. you know, for the day. Um, but aside from that, it's basically like food and then, you know, camp will go in the bottom because I don't need to get to it quickly. 
and then I'll have quick access to rain gear, puffy layers, um, whatever else it might be in there uh, mm-hmm. that I'm probably going to use throughout the day. Um, but I feel like that's an overcomplicated job. You know, yeah. there's there's a lot of like um, there's a lot of questions about it. And it's like, man, put the heavy stuff against the frame. The rest of it doesn't matter. Like my sleeping bag is two pounds. Mm-hmm. My puffy jacket is 12 ounces. Like that stuff just goes wherever, wherever I have quick access to it. Um, but so, yeah, that's, that's generally how I'll do it. Gotcha. So if I'm, if I'm envisioning you packing your pack, um, you're going to lay your pack flat, right? Is that how you do it? You put it against the ground. You're, yep. you're talking frame side down, shoulder strap side down. You're going to open that yep. up and essentially you're laying your food in against the frame closest to your, your body essentially. And you're kind of lay, building a layer essentially like against the, the back of the frame. Effectively. Yep. Okay. Yep. So like I, I typically pack a day's worth of food or two then, days worth of food in a gallon Ziploc. Yep. Right. So like if I have, you know, if I'm going to hunt for six days, I'll have, two, I'll have three gallon Ziplocs, two days of food in each one. And I will just layer them against the frame. Okay. Yep. And, and, and then pack other stuff on top of it. Okay. And then the bottom, you're probably, you're putting your sleeping bag in the bottom, your shelter, your sleeping pad. And then yeah, you know, maybe your can't your stove kind of middle middle of the pack somewhere I'd assume just kind of layer it in and then you're layering in your possibles pouch, um, maybe your kill kit, any other extra of you know clothing layers or anything like that, just kind of as you as you move up, right? Yeah, gotcha. I, I don't carry a dedicated kill kit. It's, mm. All that stuff goes in my camp pocket. That's how I you do. know Havalon extra blades electrical tape for well i use electrical tape for a handful of things but like putting tags on and then affixing antlers like to a stick you know mm-hmm. um just like elk antlers don't swing yep um <clears throat> but yeah it's it's a pretty straightforward process um but yeah it's i, I don't know I don't, I don't overthink it i just want to make sure that weight is as close to my back as possible we actually we just published an article in the vestibule blog mm-hmm. about um uh basically leverage and it's a really good read it's a very quick read uh but kurt does it and kurt kurt built the jig and so basically it's a 90 degree jig and then he stacks weight at the bottom right and and in doing so you have to distribute the weight outward versus vertically along the frame and the difference in leverage is astronomical Hmm. right so i'm I'm a huge believer in putting all your heavy stuff up against the frame hence the development of the load shelf and why that works Mm -hmm. gotcha you know but it's it it doesn't go for you know it's i'm not just speaking to a hundred pound pack you know you can make a 30 pound pack fit and feel terrible if you pack it incorrectly yeah but if you pack it correctly i.e all your heavy stuff against the frame it feels great it doesn't pull on you you know it's easy to wear for days on end see this is this is one of those questions like even as i asked it i thought you know this is a simple question but as i'm thinking through the way i load my backpack i load it i load it different slightly different than you do and but it's got me thinking you know i I, I usually run same type of deal. Like I'll load my sleeping bag, my pad, my tent in the bottom. And then, 
you know, usually like my camp stove, uh, my possibles pouch, which I also just put my kill kit in the possibles pouch. That's just one kit kind of in the middle. And then, uh, you know, puffy layer maybe. And then, you know, I'll layer my food up, but my food is kind of like, if you can picture it, it's like more just horizontal in the backpack, you know, at the same layer. And then, you know, rain gear, whatever it is kind of up from there. And then, uh, yep. you know, maybe one pouch of food at the top, but it makes me wonder now, cause you are right. I mean, your heaviest items are, are your food. So if I'm going on a seven day hunt and I've got seven days worth of food, which is, you know, seven zip, you know, Ziploc gallon size bags, it's a pretty heavy chunk, you know? So I'm wondering yeah. if I'm, I'm interested, I'm going to do it. So I'm leaving tomorrow actually. So I'm going to, I'm going to layer my food against the back of the frame and, you know, stick my sleeping bag in the bottom and kind of layer it up from there. Almost you know, more this way than this way and, uh, yeah. see how it works. If you start to go out, you start to create leverage, yep. right? If you keep everything tight to the frame, you, I mean, as best you can, you mitigate any leverage, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, pulling on your center of gravity. The other thing you can do, um, like I really like a 5,900 for everything. So if I'm running out of space, I will stick, you know, one or two of those gallon Ziplocs in my load shelf, mm-hmm. right? So like sometimes I'll carry uh, a load cell bag or sometimes I'll even take one of my game bags since I'm already going to carry it and I'll put the food in there and just stick it in my load shelf. I'll still wear my, I'll still use my pack on my frame like you would in everyday hunting mode, right? So yep. like not load shelf mode, but you can just wedge your food down in the bottom of your load shelf. Yeah. Um, and you know, you get back whatever it is, 500 to a thousand cubic inches of space. Um, so that's, that's the way I would do like, you know, an extended hunt where I felt like space was an issue in a 59. Gotcha. Um, also in grizzly country. Yeah. Turns out we have a lot of those. (laughs) Um, it's nice to do that. It's nice to put everything in a load cell and put all your food in your load shelf. That way, every night at camp, you're not like tearing your pack apart, you know, and having all these individual food bags. Mm-hmm. You can literally just take your load cell out, pick it up, hang it in a tree. And then if you, uh, I like to carry camp on my back every day, just so that I can, wherever I wind up is is my new camp spot. Yep. Um, I hate the idea of like having to pound, you know, 2000 feet up a hill to get back to camp because you, because you went down and chased a bull. Um, it also makes you question your decision-making, right? You're like, man, do I drop off? I don't have a lot of time. If you have all your stuff with you, just go. Yeah. And you just, just, you know, stay wherever you wind up. Um, but it is nice to concentrate all that food in a load cell because it's close to your back and because it makes it easy to pull it out and hang it. Yeah, I, I agree. We didn't really talk about frames, but do you have a frame? You guys have the crux frame. You have the, uh, X curve frame. Is there one or one or the other that you prefer and why? Yeah, I'm, I'm a crux frame guy through and through. Yep. Um, I think the, there's a misconception in my opinion about the X curve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's partially because of the way we tout it and market it. Um, but I think the the perception is that the X curve frame is like a more rugged frame and it's for more diehard hunters, if you will. Uh, and I don't think that's fair to the crux frame. The crux frame is unbelievable. And I actually think the crux frame fits more people better than the X curve does. If 
uh, if your torso works geometry wise with the X curve, it's really exceptional. But if it doesn't, it is not exceptional. Um, so I think generally speaking, the crux frame is probably a better fit for more people. Um, and I bet 70 plus percent of the guys in this office wear a crux frame. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. I, I can do both, but I would definitely give the edge uh, from a comfort standpoint to the crux mm -hmm. frame. Yeah. I mean, the the first pack that I got from you guys, like I think I've, I've said before, but I think it was like 2017 or 18. I can't remember, but it's, it's an X curve. Um, and I've used the X curve forever. I've never really given the crux a, a, a decent chance. Um, you know, we, we had Jeff down in the office and talked to him and Jeff was kind of talking about maybe what type of person, you know, based on your back shape might prefer a crux over an X curve. And, uh, I know Neville bought one and he's told me the same thing. He's like, man, the crux is where it's at. He's like, I, I love that frame. It just fits me better. He's like, for whatever reason, I don't know, but he's like, it's, it's the better fit for me. It's more comfortable. So that's interesting to hear you say it. Yeah. It's, and it's hard to know unless you try it. Mm -hmm. Um, typically like if I'm, if I'm working with a customer, um, I guess there's two scenarios here. If I'm working with a customer over the phone or just chatting with somebody, I will push them towards a crux frame because I know it's going to work. Um, whereas the X curve is a little bit more of a guess. Mm -hmm. If I work with people at a trade show or in our showroom here, I bet 80% of them leave with a crux frame and you can see it in their face. You know, I, I, when I work with someone, I'm like, Hey, I'm not going to tell you anything about these, no preconceived notions, just put them both on and tell me what you like. And I'll put them in the X curve first and then I'll put them in the crux frame and you can kind of see their face light up when they put the crux frame on. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. So most people walk out of here with a crux frame uh, or like leave a trade show with a crux frame. If I have the chance to work with them, I, I, I might have to get a crux then and give it a go. Cause I've been, I've been a diehard X curve guy forever and ever. And I've always really liked it. I've touted it. I've sold a ton of them uh, to people. Yeah. So it's really, that's really interesting to hear you say. I, uh, yep. yeah, now I'm, uh, I'm the, very intrigued. The beauty, the beauty of our system too, especially nowadays is that we can change the stays, mm -hmm. you know? So nowadays there's no difference between the crux frame and the X curve with the exception of the stays. Gotcha. So you're, you're kind of at will to buy one and then try the other one. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it gives you a lot of freedom and it, it keeps it simple. Um, you know, you got two options. You can test them both out, see what you like and pick, pick whatever suits you. Um, the nice thing about the crux frame is that it's a little bit lighter, mm -hmm. right? So yep. for those people who consider ounces, all of us do to some degree, some of us more than others, but the crux frame is a little bit lighter. Gotcha. Man, mm -hmm. food food for thought. See, you've I've learned something today. I've learned a lot of things already. This is the best it's yeah. been actually the most interesting thing about doing a podcast on your own. And like when they suggested, hey, you know, Trail, I think you should do a podcast and I kind of fought it for a while because the podcast is never something that I wanted to do on my own anyway. But um you know, the opportunity to, to just sit down and talk to people and just answer or ask and, and have answered some questions that I've had. And like, I'm always, I'm continually surprised, even as much as I've hunted and, you know, the level of experience that I think I have, I'm always interested with the things that I learned. It's been really fascinating. So <laughs> sounds like I yeah. got, I got new, a new way to pack my bag and it sounds like I got a new pack I need to try. So, um, I wanted yeah. to, 
I wanted to jump over and talk a little bit about uh, layering clothing systems. Um, like I said, you guys have you know, really dove deep in the last, what, maybe two years, I guess, three years uh, into mm-hmm. layering systems. Um, I, w- I was curious as to what, uh, maybe maybe two different comparisons. So what does uh, a clothing system for you look, look like for like a September archery elk hunt um, versus maybe an October, mid to late October elk hunt? And uh, Porter's got a, uh, a kind of a mid October hunt in Colorado. Um, and, and he's been and asking me a bunch of questions. I was down in Vegas, uh, two days ago and we ran through a bunch of stuff with him and I've probably got some questions that I'll pass on to you here in a sec that is based on some questions that he asked me or some gear choices that he's made. But, um, what are your two different systems look like? So, like I said, September archery elk hunt versus maybe a late October rifle hunt. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're pretty similar, uh, with the exception of maybe my first layer or two. Um, so like September, I'm typically going to go Merino hoodie. Hmm. Uh, I'll have a Helio hoodie with me, the Cirque light. Hmm. And then, uh, I will typically, depending on the weather, cause like it does get cold in September sometimes, but I'll typically bring a Grumman vest for insulation and then always rain gear Mm -hmm. um and i i tell you what i have carried rain gear for hundreds of miles and not used it but when you need it it is good to have it so i would encourage everybody to have rain gear top and bottoms all the time going back to my next skin um and i was actually i listened to you guys talk about this the other day i don't know if that was with jeff or somewhere else but you were talking about synthetics versus, mm-hmm. um, you know, natural fibers or, yep. or merino wool. I really like the merino wool, and this is probably contrary to most people's trains of thought, but I really like the merino wool in the early season, even though it's warm, uh, mostly because it doesn't get stinky. Yep. And I know, you know, synthetics are great; they dry fast. Um, they're typically polygene treated or, you know, have some antimicrobial treatment, but they just get so stinky so fast. Um, and if for no other reason, I just don't want to smell myself. <laughs> so I, I like, I like the Merino for, you know, anything in the early season that's multi-day. Yep. And the nice thing about our Merino is that we, we wove in some nylon. So it actually does a pretty good job of moving moisture compared to other merinos I've used in the past. Um, and that nylon prevents it from stretching. You know, like we probably all use merino where like two or three days into a hunt, your sleeves fit like this, yeah. right? They're all dangly and loose. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the nylon in our merino helps prevent that as well. Yeah. So I do like merino for early. Um, and I typically will switch to a synthetic for later season. Um, Typically later season, we're talking about, you know, more than likely rifle hunts um, where like proximity to an animal is not quite as important as it is with bow hunting. So like, even if I do get a little stinkier, uh, it doesn't bother me quite as much. But the synthetics in the late season pull moisture off your skin and dry out really quick. And they do a really good job of pushing, like uh, allowing you to push moisture through a system. Um, so I am a big fan of synthetics later in the season and then Merino early in the season, but from a layering standpoint, like I'm always going to have a Helio hoodie. Um, I will have 
some sort of active insulation. So like for us, that means the circ light mm-hmm. and then I'll have static insulation. So later in the season, I'll switch from a Grumman vest to a Grumman jacket. And then I also will carry our down pants. Yep. Um, those, those down pants, like in my opinion, are, they're just invaluable. I, I feel like they do such a good job of keeping you in the fight when you're up on a ridge and it's windy or it's cold, maybe both. Um, so at, at 16 ounces, uh, the down pants are non-negotiable for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I can't remember when I got my first pair of down pants, but I, I knew immediately that that was a, a piece of gear that goes in my pack pretty much all the time. You know, even yep. on a September elk hunt, I pack them a lot of the times just because when I get back to camp at night and it's, you know, cold, you're at maybe 10,000 feet and, you know, you're, you're going to get down into freezing temps at night. It's really nice to have those down pants just while you're cooking your meal. You know, sometimes I've had to really ride out some, you know, nasty cold, uh, you know, snowstorms, even the end of September, I think a hunt in Wyoming that I did where I wore those down pants at night, just because I was probably a little, um, you know, I had a sleeping bag that just wasn't up to snuff, you know, cause I was trying to go live yeah. cause it was September and I ended up sleeping those and, and that helped a ton. But I, I think down pants is one of the best pieces of gear that I've added to my kit in the last, I don't know, probably five, 10 years. I mean, they've, they've really been phenomenal. Um, I'm also on the same page with you. It's interesting to hear you talk about it. Um, with, with Merino and, uh, synthetic, I'm on the same page. I think Merino makes a ton of sense early season because you know, one, it doesn't stink. Uh, two, I'm not as worried about that stuff drying out quick because it's not really cold. And then uh, that's one of the reasons I don't like Merino late season is because it just feels like it takes forever to dry. And anytime you've got kind of some wet, damp, you know, material against your skin and it's cold out, it doesn't matter if I can layer as many layers as I want on top of it. It just feels like I'm always cold because I'm kind of damp and yeah. wet. And that's kind of the same reason I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm right with you, you know, synthetic versus Merino, Merino early and, and synthetic late. Um, yeah. the other thing I heard you I, say I think, that I thought was interesting was using a, a vest. And that was one thing that Porter had asked me about. He's like, do you ever use a vest? And I don't, I never, I've never worn a vest, never, never taken a vest hunting, but I actually really like your train of thought in using, um, you know, a base layer and then, you know, maybe a, a mid layer and then, you know, a down, like a down vest. I think that it's, that's interesting. I like the idea of it. I mean, you save some weight and you retain warmth where you need it. Yeah. The, the other thing about the vest is it doesn't wind up, um, you know, making your shooting arm mm-hmm. your or your bow arm bulky. Yep. Right. So like my, my hope is that like, I'm guessing I'm not going to be wearing the vest unless it's really early in the morning and there's kind of some unforeseen cold September weather, but, um, it just, it just eliminates bulk on my bow arm. Yep. Um, and I've, I've never had my string strike my arm while shooting at an animal or anything, but you know how things go, you yeah. know, like the, the unforeseen Murphy's law, like they always seem to happen. So it's just like, a, it's a, it's an, in the back of my head consideration, but I also like, you know, save a couple ounces with a vest. I get the core insulation I need. Um, and like prior to us bringing out the Cirque light, I would have brought a Grumman jacket, yeah. but if you go Helio or uh, Merino hoodie, Helio hoodie, Cirque light, and you're moving at all, you're going to be warm, right? So the vest is like, Hey, I got a little bit of insulation. It's kind of an insurance policy. If it does get colder than I suspect it did, or if I wind up on a ridge and it's windy, I can throw on my vest and throw on 
my M5, my rain gear, mm-hmm. um, you know, and be just fine. Yeah. I like it, man. I, m- I might have to try yeah. that. Never, never taking a vest, but I, I like your train of thought. Yeah. And like, th- like the weight penalty and the volume penalty, you know, our Grumman vest packs up so small. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, a large Grumman jacket is 12 ounces. I don't know what a vest is. It's gotta be like eight ounces, nine ounces, yeah. something like that. Um, so yeah, there's just, you know, there's like almost no penalty to carry it. Yeah. Um, to expand on my late season kit a little bit, I always use a 15 degree bag. Mm-hmm. Um, I have never once carried a zero degree bag, but I'm also carrying a Grumman jacket and our Grumman down pants, right? So like I have an insurance policy if the temps really plummet and I need extra insulation, like I can always go to bed in my jacket and in, in my down pants and boost the R value of my sleeping bag. Yep. Um, seldom has that ever happened. Um, but it, it's there if I need it. Yeah, no, that's a good thought. And that was one of my other questions is, you know, is there any time, you know, for you to, where you ever switch over to a zero degree bag? So that, that kind of answers that 15 degree. That's pretty much what I use as well. So make, makes good sense. I did, I did actually buy a uh, zero degree chill coot and I, yep. I get, I get cold. Uh, I've got a November archery deer hunt in Nevada that I drew Northern Nevada. And, um, I thought I was going to use it. I think I'm going to use it for that. Cause like I said, I do, I do get pretty cold and I've, I've got 15 degree bags. I've got several of them kind of in my, my equipment room. I don't have a zero degree bag. So I did buy that and I think I'm going to try it this year just in case uh, I need it because I've heard it can get pretty wicked cold. So, yeah, the, um, so we send our bags off, um, to Kansas state university and they do a copper mannequin, like thermal regulation test. Our 15 degree bag actually comes back at, I think it's eight degrees. Oh, wow. So it's actually understated. Hmm. Um, so it's a better bag than we market it as. So, um, the difference between the two is not significant enough for me to jump to the zero, right? So like if I can save, the only difference is seven ounces and a little bit of packability between the two. Uh, but that seven ounces basically offsets, you know, the better part of a Grumman jacket for me. So, and then I have a more diverse system, if you will, right? So like I can carry the Grumman almost for free if I carry the 15 degree, but then I have a more dynamic system, right? Like, I got the grommet if I need it. I can pair it with the sleeping bag should the temperatures plummet, et cetera. So these are like, I'm always trying to find ways um, to make multiple uses out of gear. Yeah. That's that's one of the ways to do it. Um, yeah. they, you know, as they say, one is none and two is one. Yeah. So that's kind of my mindset when I'm when I'm packing a pack. Yeah, I like it. Um, let me, let me go back to a piece of clothing, uh, I wanted to ask you about, and this is, this is coming from my discussion I had with Porter. Um, let's talk soft shells. Do you, do you ever pack a soft shell? Is there a place, a time and a place for a soft shell for you for hunting? Um, not really. <laughs> uh, I, <clears throat> you, the you, benefit of a soft shell to me is durability. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, there's not, there's not a lot of insulation value in a soft shell. Uh, it's not waterproof. So I'm like, okay, how does this fit into my system? 
And the only place it really fits in is if I am like, you know, let's talk about like uh, November Eastern Montana mule deer hunting, yeah. right? Like if I'm going to, if I'm going to like pound brush and be ripping around all day. <clears throat> and my guess is that I'm not going to be sitting at 10,000 feet clinging to every bit of warmth that I can. I'll take it and wear it. But, um, I don't know to this day, if I have ever put a soft shell in a backpack that I was going to wear for multiple days. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just like the, the pros and cons of a soft shell, just, just don't do it for me. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's uh, a soft shell is a great piece if you're trying to, you know, buck the wind a little bit, maybe, you know, day hunting from a truck on, you know, open country. You know, I think it's good for that. And, and like you're saying, I, I, don't, I just don't think the weight um, versus warmth ratio is there for me to pack it in my backpack. But yeah, Port, Port yeah, was pretty hell bent on taking his soft shell on a backpack hunt. And I was just like, I wouldn't do it, man. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's I, I would options. not. I wouldn't recommend it either. Yeah. Um, the. Yeah, the, the weight of a soft shell is pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the volume, yeah. right? Like trying to pack, like in our case, a de Havilland jacket <clears throat> in the stead of a Grumman jacket, it's going to be probably 2x, 3x the volume. Um, so you're burning up a lot of space in your pack yeah. um, for not a lot of benefit, you know, on the temperature regulation side and on the waterproof side. Mm-hmm. So I just, I think there are better ways to go about it. Yeah. I, I agree. That's, I told him soft shells are for, you know, getting groceries in December, man. Like that's what a soft shells for. Or skiing. Yeah, you know, if skiing. you take a tumble on a groomer going 45 miles an hour, there you great go. place to have a soft shell. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you about shelters. I wanted to, to just briefly ask you, like, what do you, what do you like in shelters? I know, um, you know, you get the, the sky air, you guys have a brand new tarp that you came out with this year. Um, yep. You know, what's your go? You have the Solace, I guess. It just came out not too long ago, which yep. is a, a one-person freestanding tent. Um, you know, when when do you pick what shelter and why? Yeah, so uh, most of that is rooted in weight. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that's the case for most people, but I pretty much will run a Sky Air as long as I can. Um, and I've had a Sky Air in some pretty nasty conditions, uh, and it always performs for me when I carry a sky air, I literally feel like I don't have camp, mm-hmm. which is a pretty nice feeling. I just feel like nimble and mobile. Yep. Um, but I typically will carry a sky air with a mesh insert and a vestibule, right? So I can kind of close it off. I've got a little bit of space in the vestibule for gear if I need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's really my go-to, um, How- until like real genuine snow loads become an issue. Okay. Um, the i like the solace a lot uh but i think my preference is the skyscraper Mm -hmm. the one thing the solace lacks uh compared to the skyscraper is like a big designated vestibule right and like for those late season hunts like i just want a place to like put my gear and put my rifle or my bow if i'm bow hunting late season uh where i know it's not gonna get rained on or snowed on i'm not gonna wake up with frozen equipment um, I've, I've had that happen. I've woken up and my rifle trigger doesn't work till noon, mm. right? Because it got wet and froze. Um, so it's, I don't know. It's just, it's not a game I want to play. I, I really like the vestibule. 
Um, the one place where I would be really interested in a solace is if I was concerned about a footprint, right? Mm -hmm. So if I was hunting like some really nasty country, um, and this is really what the solace was built for was to be like, Hey, I need a four season shelter, uh, that's durable and fairly light, but my footprint is going to be very limited, mm -hmm. right? So like if you're sheep hunting and you're on a knife ridge or something like that, that's the time and a place for a solace, um, typically speaking, I'm, I'm hunting with a buddy, right? Mm -hmm. So like if we can carry the two P both sleep in it, both have a vestibule, that seems like the best option to me. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times, like I hunt with a guy named Jared Miller, like he'll carry a spotter. I'll carry a tent, uh, or like I'll carry a tent. He'll carry a spotter and a jet boil. Right. So like you can kind of balance out the packs that way and just carry, uh, one shelter. Yeah. And kind of kind of divvy up equipment, yeah. Yeah. A uh, yeah. Porter was trying to decide whether to take the, you know, the Sky Air or the Solus, you know, or the the two person, and you know, we kind of went back and forth. But it's 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 good intel. I mean, he's he's pretty dead set on having the you know a freestanding tent, you know, with poles that he can set up. Um, he doesn't want to share a tent with a buddy. So at that point, yep. I was just like, maybe you should go with the Solus, you know, and you save a little bit of weight. Um, but I do like, I, I'm with you. I like the the designated big vestibules. And then, you know, I ultimately just told him, you know, you just need to become better friends with your buddy that you're going with. You guys just sleep, sleep in uh, the same tent together. It's not going to kill you. Not going to hurt you, bud. <laughs> yeah. I, some people are really opposed to that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, when it's cold, I'm like, whatever, let's get in there. Like, uh, if I, if I stay one degree warmer because I'm sleeping next to my buddy, mm -hmm. I'm all about it. Uh, but yeah, you, you do need to be, you know, comfortable yeah. with the person you're with. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I'm not sure that I would want to share a tent with, uh, like a client or someone I didn't <laughs> know very well, but yeah, I would do it if I had to, but yeah, yeah I don't know. If, if you got a good buddy, I'm like, yeah, what, what the hell is the difference? You're going to save three, four pounds collectively sharing a shelter. So why not? Yeah. And you have, you, you get to climb in bed there together at night and have a good chat, right? Yeah. Shoot, I mean, I, I've had, I've had some interesting conversations in a tent that otherwise wouldn't have happened. <laughs> I bet. I bet. That's funny. Yeah. Um, and well, then if you, if, if you ever hunt with Peter Munich, oh, yeah. uh, he will, he will more than likely have an iPad where mm -hmm. you can watch a movie. There so, you go. It is a huge benefit to share a tent with Pete. Yeah. Do you talk to Pete still? You ever see Pete around? Oh yeah. Yeah. Tell tell him hey yeah, for he's me. He's around. He's, what's that? I said just tell tell him hey for you if you see him. For me. I will. Yeah. I like Pete, man. I always get oh. a kick out of Pete. Pete's a good dude. He's a good dude, and my he's a comedian. Oh, funny, funny guy. Yeah. 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 Good. Good laugh. Um, what's well, the, that's kind of the gear questions I had for you. I have you for an hour. Um, you got any hunts coming up that you're looking forward to? Yeah. Um, I've got, uh, this is, I've got a couple archery elk tags this year. Well, I should say I have a, I have a archery elk tag out of state and then I have my, uh, general Montana tags. Um, but the hunt I'm looking forward to most this year is my uncle Peter and my uncle David. Uh, we call them vid. <laughs> Uh, both finally drew their first Western tags. Wow. Um, and then my dad is going to tag along as well. So we're going to, we're going to be a little pumpkin patch out there mobbing around Montana and rifle season, but nice. they're coming out for, I think we have nine days to hunt. 
Uh, so I'm really excited to get them out here and give them the full on like backpack hunting experience. And uh, hopefully we get a chance to, you know, knock a bull or two down, perhaps yeah. a deer as well. That's so that's, cool. that's kind of like the, if I don't kill a bull this year and they kill bulls, I, I will be a very happy camper. Yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. It's fun. They've never been out mm-hmm. here then, huh? Nope. Um, my cousin Ben lives in Denver and he's, he's into hunting, not quite like I am. So mm-hmm. he and Pete, um, have bow hunted elk, but <clears throat> I don't think, uh, uh, Pete nor vid have ever done like this, you know, carry camp hunt for a week at a time, uh, mm-hmm. style of hunt. Cool. That's cool, man. So, well, that'd, that'd yeah. be fun. Good, good luck to you guys. Good luck to, uh, you on your archery elk hunts. Um, I, I'm, I'm getting ready to leave. I hope you get a chance to get out next week as well. It's kind of, we're kind of like headed right into what should be the best part of the rut. Right. So yeah, hope I you get out. Yeah. I'm definitely hedging my bets that the, the elk hunting is going to be the best in the next two weeks, because that's kind of where I've allotted all my time to go. Me as well. Um, so I'm going to go tomorrow for three or four days and then I've got a week at the end of September. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I've got, seven to 10 days coming up in the next couple of weeks to go kill a bull. Nice. Well, good, good luck to you. I appreciate you, uh, taking an hour out of your time. I know that was short notice too, but, um, I, I really appreciate it. And I learned a lot. So, I mean, it's always interesting. I'm always amazed, you know, I get a chance to yeah. sit down and talk to somebody that does it. And, you know, I look at things differently, different perspectives. So I definitely got some new things I want to try and then just some, you know, some simple lessons that I want to want to put to use as well. So I appreciate your time, Andrew. Yeah, you bet. Happy to be here. Um, if you get a chance, if you haven't seen that article about mm-hmm. about um, leverage and, and load distribution, definitely go check it out. It's like I said, it's a short read, but it's informative. And it's like, I mean, it's just it's so straightforward. You can't ignore it. Right on. Well, thanks, Andrew. I uh, appreciate your time. Good luck this next week. We'll stay in touch. I hope to, to see some pictures. Alrighty. Sounds right. good, man. Take care and shoot straight. Thanks, bud. Bye.